0: Good morning. If you've got your Bibles, turn with me to John chapter four, John chapter four. We're going to finish up chapter four today and get into chapter five. We're going to sort of build on John's argument today, or you could even use the, the image. We're going to sort of turn the page, add something else to John's argument that he has been building over the last few chapters. I wanted you to see this just so you can understand the, the big picture. Behind me, you see what we call the seven signs of the Gospel of John. And notice that these signs are front-loaded. They're on the front half of the Gospel of John. There's a little book called The Seven Signs out in our bookstore. It's a little small, easy to read, really good book for discipleship. If I was going to disciple somebody at the beginning of their walk, I'd probably get this little book and go through it. So you see we've already hit the first two Jesus is the new one He is the new temple And now we get this Healing God This Lord This is our new word That we're going to keep saying a lot Over the next few weeks He's Lord The Lord of healing He heals the nobleman's son today He heals the lame man That's what we're going to look at today Remember John 3 brought us to this Conversation with a religious, respected man, and told him that even in his religion he must be born again. We've got this image of water, of this need for life. Jesus can, can give us what we need, and he is the only one. I've also heard this word a lot in the Gospel of John, and we'll continue to hear it believe. We've asked the question what does it mean to believe? We're gonna, I'm going to use this word today, authentic. I'm not using it because it's a catch, catch word of, the, of our day. This word ha- means this. Of something that is authentic is of undisputed origin. It is genuine when it comes to faith. It's not the size that matters, but the genuineness. Remember the mustard seed. John's theme contrasts the world's theme. The the world's theme. Seeing is believing. If I can prove it in science, if I can prove it by logic, if I can prove it by experience, it must be true. John's theme is just the opposite. Believing is seeing. Something must happen to you through the power of the Holy Spirit or you cannot see and you will not see. Hebrews 11, 1 paraphrase says this. Faith is being sure of what we hope for. Faith is being certain of what we do not see. There is a dangerous doctrine floating around, and it's been out here for years. And by and large, in Baptist land, we have embraced it wholeheartedly. It is this idea... That we can accept Jesus as our Savior, get the forgiveness of our sins, get our get out of hell free card, but Lordship comes later. You know, as we grow up, after we don't have anything better to do, then we'll accept Him as Lord. I want you to put that on the shelf today and over the next few weeks and just see if this is what John is teaching. I hope you will conclude with... John and myself that that is a foreign concept to Scripture and it is what Dietrich Bonhoeffer would call cheap grace. Saw this shared. I actually shared it myself. Listen to this quote. Cheap grace is the grace we bestow on ourselves. Cheap grace is the preaching of forgiveness without requiring repentance. Baptism without church discipline. Communion without confession. Cheap grace is grace without discipleship. Grace without the cross. Grace without Jesus Christ, living and incarnate. If you have not surrendered to His Lordship, you are not saved. That's what we want to see today. Jesus Christ displays His Lordship over all sickness. And at the same time, He is challenging inadequate faith and bringing authentic faith. Oh, Jesus is doing far more than healing. We want to see that today. Lordship, you see, is connected now to His argument of believing, of being born again, of this need for life. It's the emphasis on His sovereign authority. The context, remember the context? Jesus is traveling from Judea. He he had to go through Samaria, and He's going up to Galilee. And then he goes back from Galilee to Jerusalem. So in our minds, we're going from Samaria to Galilee and then to Jerusalem today. So when Jesus arrives in Galilee, he goes to Cana. You can see that in verse 46. I'm just going to tell the stories to start with, and then we're going to talk about them. In verse 46, it says, Jesus came to Cana of Galilee, where he had made water into wine. This means you think about the seven signs, the first sign and the third sign happened in the same town. That miracle had stirred up. It made quite a stir. A lot of people that was there, the text says, was there at the wedding and they saw it. Now he's coming back to town. And so we're going to get introduced to a man called Most. Translations calls him a nobleman or a government official. Most likely this man was serving under Herod Antipas. We know this man was was well off. He had wealth and status. He had servants. You'll see them come into the picture at the end of the story. So obviously that means he had the ability and whatever medical treatment and physicians of the day, he could afford it. And yet we see a man who's grown desperate. Jesus is Lord, you see, over not only illness, but the emphasis here is death. So the story, remember Nicodemus to start with, Nicodemus initiated the conversation with Jesus. We see the same thing in the nobleman. The nobleman initiates a conversation with Jesus. He said, Come, my son is at the point of death. And Jesus gives a strange response. You remember he rebukes not only him, but the crowd. said, unless you see a sign, you will not believe. The nobleman is undeterred and perseveres. And so in verse 50, Jesus tells him to go. Your son will live. The man believed and he went. And on his way, his servants meet him and says, your son is well. And the nobleman said, so... Tell me exactly what time that he was made well. And I said, well, it was yesterday about 1 o'clock. A nobleman remembered that was the exact time that Jesus had told him to go. We see that not only he believed, but he went home and declared it to his family, and his family believed. So understand from this little simple story of Jesus healing the nobleman, there is one theological Christ-centered truth. The Lord commands and sickness flees. Death flees. Look at verse 52. It says, So he asked them the hour, talking speaking to the servants, when he began to get better, and they said to him, Yesterday at the seventh hour, listen, the fever left him. That that word left him is the same word we get for divorce in, in that time. It means to move out. There wasn't a sudden, a gradual abatement of a fever or an illness. It was at a moment, at one o'clock, he was better. You ever seen a commercial? Been waiting all week to use this commercial. I love these little commercials. The Mucinex commercial. You ever seen the Mucinex commercial? Where these little green... They're snots. what they are. Little snotty monsters, they, they set up house in your, in your sinuses, and they they got their feet on the couch, and they're watching TV, and they're having a good time, and here comes Mucinex, and they are forced, when Mucinex arrives, to move out. That's, that's the picture here. That's what the servants tell him. The truth here is Jesus speaks, and sickness and death must obey. What can we learn from chapter 5? Jesus goes from Galilee to Jerusalem, said there was a feast going. We're not told what it was. The winds of opposition and hostility are beginning to grow. John wants us to see that. It's only going to intensify. We have another... Remember the woman at the well. The, Jacob's well was fed by spring. We have another spring-fed pool here. There was a pool. It was surrounded by five porches or five columns. This word here actually means house of mercy or house of outpouring it was probably in the northeast part of the city interesting fact in 1888 archaeology uncovered two large pools with five porches and fragments of columns everywhere in that same discovery they, they found an artifact of an angel in the act of troubling the waters archaeology dug this up. See, archaeology, the more they dig, just proves that the Bible is true and accurate. That's what the people believed. The lame were laying there. There was a whole bunch of them. It was not just one man. Were, the whole place was full of those. And they, they believed that this water was stirred by an angel and that those who got in there would be healed. So is that true, or was that just what they believed to be true? Well, like we told before, people love to argue about such things. It is possible that John is reporting a superstition that they believed. It is absolutely possible that this water was much like we did some work in Romania and they had hot springs. And when people get in the hot springs, they would feel better. And so some would say that John is just reporting what the people believe that there were certain things that would turn the water red, minerals, and the people believed if you got in it, it would cure you. Or, in fact... God would on occasion send one of his angels and actually stir the water and people were actually healed. So what do you do when you come to something like this? Well, here's what I do. I ask myself a couple of questions. Does does believing that God would stir the water and actually heal people violate God's nature and character or anything he's ever done in the past? And if the answer is no, I just take it for his word and move on with the story. And, And that's what I'm taking it today. Take it the way you want to there. It's not his main point. Not even close. The man was waiting for that. So this is the story. The man is there. 38 years he's been laying there. No friends. Nobody to help him get in. Jesus looks at all the invalids laying there. And he chooses that one. He asks him a question. Do you want to be healed? And the man says, well sure, but... I don't have anybody to help me get in the water. See in verses 8 and 9. Rise, take up your bed and walk. Verse 9, he obeys. Then we get this very important part of the story. It was the Sabbath day. See that next week. John's telling you, there's trouble in the air. It's brewing. The religious leaders see this man that they would have known for 38 years would have been laying there, and they see him carrying his mat because Jesus told him to. They say, Why are you carrying your bed? Don't you know it's the Lord's day? He said, I don't know, man. One who healed me told me to carry it, pick it up and carry it. That's what I'm doing. You can go talk to him. Who is he? I don't know. He didn't really know. Jesus finds the man later and tells him, Look, you're well. What he said. What does he then say to him? Stop your sinning, lest something worse happen to you. What happened next? The man the man went and told the Jews that it was Jesus. Two truths here. Jesus initiates this conversation with another marginalized person out of compassion. He's at another spring of water. Symbolism is important. This particular problem was caused by sin. Isaiah 35, 6. Despite that, Jesus was moved with compassion. Isaiah 35, 6 looks forward to a time. It says, Then shall the lame man leap like a deer, and the tongues of the mute sing for joy. For waters break forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. Oh, the Messiah is here. And the lame are starting to leap. Jesus speaks, you see. This is our truth today. Jesus speaks and sickness must obey. Jesus speaks and death must flee. Jesus initiates this out of compassion. But listen this morning. This is critical. Jesus creates out of his lordship. Think about it. We have some in the medical field. Ask them what the bones and the muscles and the nerves and the blood flow does when your body does not work for 38 years. What would those nerves would have been like if you could have seen them? What would the bone structure have been in this lame man's legs? Jesus healed him. I had back trouble still do. I remember after my first back surgery, the neurologist said it would take one year for my nerves to regenerate and it took every bit of that. The burning and if anybody's ever had nerve pain, you know what it feels like, the burning. Even as they heal, it hurts. This man experienced a total healing with no pain. His muscles were strengthened. His bone structure was fixed. His nerves were regenerated. His blood flow was restored. He was healed in an instant. Why? Because of Jesus' lordship. The body must obey. And it did. What can we learn from these truths? You see, I'm not up here to give you five truths to help you have a happy life. If I ever do that, somebody remove me, please. These truths are based on theology. They're based on Christ. It is Christ's nature and character is where we derive how then shall we live and how then shall we believe. And so, what can we learn today? Jesus Christ challenges inadequate faith and He brings inadequate faith. The contrast here is bigger than just these men. It was bigger than the woman at the well. It's bigger than Nicodemus. This contrast is really between the Samaritans and the Jews and their responses to the king of glory. Look at verse 43. Go back up to the no story. After two days, he, Jesus, departed for Galilee. Parentheses. For Jesus himself had to testify that a prophet had no honor in his own hometown. Verse 45. So when he came to Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him, having seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the feast. For they too had gone to the feast. So look at the parentheses. Why did John put that in there for the reader? Remember we said the parentheses was for the benefit of the reader that was reading this to start with. Why did he put that in there? Why this little proverbial statement? It's caused quite a lot of discussion if you study it. What was he really talking about? Jesus was born in Bethlehem. He grew up in Nazareth. His base camp for ministry was in Galilee itself. Uh, There's two views. One is Jesus simply avoided Nazareth because of their dishonor for him. But secondly, and I think more likely in context... That this was his homeland, his hometown. This was where he was known. This would be the base camp of his ministry. It, it, It might be, let's just say for the sake of argument, that John has a little bit of irony, even sarcasm in the way he approaches this, because the people of Galilee welcomed him at the same time they did not honor him. How can that be? They welcomed him because of the signs and wonders. But they did not honor him as the Messiah. But listen, the Samaritans did. What was the last thing the Samaritan town said? He is the Savior of the world. Then he goes into Galilee and they said, Woo, that guy who turned that water into wine is there and we've seen him doing miracles and he's coming to town. They welcomed him. The question is always, but why did they welcome? Him? Three principles I want you to see from the nobleman. It's rooted in the person and work of Christ. Inadequate faith seeks for a blessing and not a savior. Inadequate faith seeks for a blessing and not a savior. Verse forty seven. When this man heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went to him and asked him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. So listen clearly. That's why I chose inadequate instead of another word. He had a desperate faith. Desperate faith is not authentic faith. But the good news today is it often can bring it. He was desperate. Jesus wanted deliberate, not desperate. That this man came out of desperation. He had heard what Jesus was doing. He had no more hope. The nobleman made a desperate plea in verse 47. I think this is true. I think we could pause for a minute and really relate to the nobleman. J.C. Rowe put it this way. Some crosses drive men to Christ, especially in our children. Right? (laughs) Who wouldn't do anything to make their children better? To take care of their children. That's what he was doing. And yet look at Jesus' response in verse 48. He rebukes him. Unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. Mm. 1 Corinthians 1.22, Paul says the same thing. The Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom. Jews were consumed with signs and wonders. Remember what Nicodemus said when he came? We hear these signs, these wonders you're doing. Jesus discourages against believing simply because they are seeing signs. You see, the welcome of the Galileans was fundamentally flawed. They wanted a blessing, but they ignored their need of a Savior. Samaritans, listen. Listen. Somebody tell me, what miracle did he do for the Samaritans? He didn't. He declared who he was. He declared their need, and they believed. This is the contrast that John has given us. Jesus found these people in a, in a state of amazed curiosity. What is he going to do next? But they was destitute of any real saving faith. Desperate faith is not authentic faith. But praise the Lord, it often can bring it. He's not just rebuking the man. Matter of fact, in verse 48, the you there is plural. Both times it's used. He's speaking of everyone, the whole of the Galileans. All they wanted to see was another sign, and they wanted to benefit them. They had what we would call enlightened self-interest in mind. That's why they welcomed him. Notice the man wants him to come and heal him. And Jesus did not go. Instead, what did he tell him to do? He told him to go. (laughs) He says, go your way. Your son lives. Now you think about that for a minute. He wasn't around the corner. He had quite a good drive, so to speak. A good walk to get back home. To find out whether his son was alive or dead. The truth was whatever was going to happen would already happen by the time he got back home. Text says he believed. What did he believe? You see it? The word that Jesus spoke to him. Verse 50. And he went his way. This word go is an imperative. It should remind you of Matthew 28. All authority has been given to me, so go and make disciples. The issue is, see... No matter whether it's him going to see whether his son is healed or whether it's us going to make disciples, the issue is whether we have authentic faith or if we don't. Second principle. First principle. An adequate faith seeks a blessing, not a savior. So we see very clearly how the connection. Authentic faith takes Jesus at his word. That's what the man has done. The man believed. And he left. He went from desperation to a calm. He stopped pleading and he departed just like the Lord told him to do. You see, genuine faith is immediately joined with obedience. It does not come when you're 50 and you don't have anything else better to do. It comes when you believe. Genuine faith is immediately joined with the Authentic faith here is not a blind leap of faith as some describe it. It's not a ride on the emotional wave. By the way, that's what brought him there. But when he departed, it was not a leap of faith. He took Jesus at his word. That's faith. That's authentic faith. We take him at his word and we walk in that faith. This faith that had brought healing to the sick, that had drove death away, Happened by the word. Remember John 1:1. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God. And the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. Verse 4: In him was life, and life was the light of men. Jesus spoke the result. Life. Authentic faith it takes Jesus as Word. And listen, look at the text. It's amazing. Authentic faith. Is both a growing and it is a declaring faith. You can almost see this man's faith growing as he walks back home. Look at verse 52. He's going home, the context, he's going home, his servants meet him. Your son's, your son's well. Verse 52, he asked him the hour when he had began to get better. And they said to him, yesterday at the seventh hour, the fever left him. Verse 53, the father knew that that was the hour when Jesus had said to him, your son will live. Listen to what it says. And he himself believed in all his household. Faith grows. It doesn't grow in all of us the same way. Reminded me of the, we got some chickens not too long ago, and Christina wanted a duck, a duck. The chapter supply gets you because they won't sell you just one duck. They make you buy two ducks. So we have two ducks. We made a little lot for them, and somebody hooked the air compressor up to them and blew them up. I mean, we went out there one day and they were just, oh yeah, little ducks, look so cute. Next thing you know, them big old things was fat and whoppy and couldn't even walk up the ramp to get inside. The, what happened to them? Sometimes faith grows like our ducks. Not always. Remember our growth group, we talked about yeast. The nature of yeast is to permeate all that it contacts. It can be both for good or for bad. This faith is growing in the nobleman. He asked a question. He tell me exactly when it's happened. Why did he ask that question? What was in his mind when he asked that? Faith working, faith growing, and listen faith declaring. Verse 53 Not only did he himself believe, but all his household believed. The question is this Did he believe to start with? Yes, he did. But do you see when you look back on your life 30 years ago believers 20 years ago 10 years ago do we not sometimes look at ourselves and say you don't even seem like I believed I trust him more today than I ever did then our faith is growing his faith was growing how do we know it was growing because he was declaring his faith that's how you know it's growing Brothers and sisters, it's not hard today to know whether your faith is growing or whether your faith is stagnant. Are you declaring it or are you not? His faith was growing. He declared it. As a result, his whole family was saved. He goes home and tells his son. Can you imagine? He walks in his house and his son is sitting at the breakfast bar eating Fruit Loops. You know? Now that would be a worship service, wouldn't it? Let me tell you about what just happened. The one who made you whole. Listen to this. The healing of the nobleman's son is just one more glimpse of the person of Christ. The person who by his command, by his very word, brings life out of death, safety out of danger, healing out of disease, salvation out of lostness, and a deliberate faith out of a desperate faith. This is Jesus whom we believe authentic faith you see takes Jesus at his word authentic faith is a growing faith it is a declaring faith well how about the lame man chapter 5 we see this Lord creating his body well making his body new what can we learn from this encounter with the lame man don't you just see this authentic faith is serious about mercy but it's more serious about sin. It's more serious about sin. Jesus was serious about mercy. Could we not spend the whole weeks and weeks studying the mercy and compassion of Jesus Christ? There was nobody who cared more and acted on it than Jesus. There was nobody who engaged the marginalized more than Jesus. Look at chapter 5, verse 6 and 7. And Jesus saw him, the lame man, lying there and knew that he had already been there a long time, he said to him, Do you want to be healed? Verse 7. The sick man answered, Sir, I have no one to put me in the pool when the water is stirred and while I'm going, another steps down before me. Growth group's going to talk about this week. Why did Jesus choose that lame man and not one of the other ones? It, it says the whole place was full Why didn't he just walk in there and say, Everybody's healed, go home? Because he's Lord, that's why. Because he has the sovereign initiative and he took it. No reason is given to answer that question, but surely because of God's sovereign grace, he healed that man. He speaks to him first. You notice that? We talked about that with the woman. The marginalized must be initiated with. They will not often initiate you, not in a real conversation. The reality is this. Those who are destitute, those who are constantly in need, have few friends. Isn't that why we call homeless people bums? Proverbs 14 says, The poor is hated even by his neighbor this man didn't have any friends save Jesus Jesus was serious about mercy but listen Jesus was more serious about sin the lame man's sin is serious look at the end of the story verse 14 afterwards Jesus found him in the temple and said to him see you are well sin no more that nothing worse may happen to you let me ask you what is worse? Stepping into a Christless eternity is worse. Jesus loves. This man's sin is serious. Not every sickness is because of sin, specific personal sin, but this one was. It did not stop Jesus from being merciful to him. And I ask you a question, and you're going to face this if you hadn't already faced it already. Does sickness and calamity. Disease and death. Put God on the hot seat. Can we step back in our self-righteous piety today and say, well, I don't know that I want to follow a Jesus that would heal one lame man and leave the rest of them laying there. How would Jesus answer the question? Well, He did. He answered the question. He answered it in Luke chapter 13. You may want to mark that in your Bibles. It's important. Verse 1. Luke chapter 13 there were some present at that very time who told him about Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices and he answered them do you think these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered in this way no I tell you but unless you repent you will all likewise perish Or those 18, or whom the towers in Siloam fell and killed them? Do you think you were worse offenders than all others who lived in Jerusalem? No, I tell you. But unless you repent, you will likewise perish. Do you see how Jesus answers the question? The problem is that we do not understand how serious sin is and how we deserve. Until we dare try to put God on the hot seat, we better ask the question, why has God not destroyed us in our sin today? You see, that's the right starting point. And until we do, we can't even have a conversation. You see, our questioning of God's goodness does not reveal our superior love but our inferior love because we see the sickness of the body but we do not see the cancer of the soul and god is merciful if you don't see the old testament mercy 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 you do not have the eyes of the holy spirit reading that it is mercy 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 but god throughout all from the beginning of genesis to the end of revelation is dead serious about sin god is serious And in his mercy, he came to this man and said, being lame is not your biggest problem. Your sin before a holy God is your biggest problem. It is that, that the Lord is the healer. Verse 15. The man, how does the man repay Jesus' kindness? Well, it almost seems like he goes and sort of tells on him. He goes back to the Jewish leaders and he says, that's Jesus. So I, I think this is the question, or at least it should be, because a nobleman is very clear, right? You see his faith growing, you see him declaring, you see his, fa- his family get saved. And you get to the end of this and you're left going, why did he do that? What was, the, what was his motivation? Did this, this lame man really experience saving faith? I don't know. Neither do you. (laughs) Authentic faith, I know this. Saving faith is a persevering faith. You see, the point is not really the healing of the lame man. It is the sin of the religious leaders. This leads to next week. You see, Jesus is serious about mercy. but He's more serious about sin. And the religious leader's sin is more serious. Look with me at verse 9 and 10. It says, The Jews therefore said to him, the man that was cured, It's the Sabbath day. It's unlawful for you to carry your bed. The religious leaders would have saw this man for 38 years laying by there. They could do nothing to help him. But the minute they see him walking around carrying his bed, they said, You broke one of our 39 Sabbath laws. How dare you? You see John's point, this blindness, this spiritual blindness, having eyes we don't really see. The Jews were so, so caught up in the rules. These adding on to the laws of God. They were consumed by it. That they failed to rejoice in the Lord that heals. Legalism, listen. Legalism is a serious sin in the body of Christ. Legalism is a serious sin in the body of Christ. Why? Because it makes lovers of rules and not followers of Jesus. You can follow the rules and miss the forest for the trees. Authentic faith is serious about mercy, but it's more serious about sin. And don't miss this. Authentic faith is not ashamed of the name. Authentic faith is not ashamed of the name. It's hard to tell, brothers and sisters. I want to give this brother, this lame man, the benefit of the doubt today. I really do. But the lame man appears to be an unwilling witness in verse eleven. Maybe he wasn't. It's almost as if when the he was scared of the of the religious leaders, and he basically said, you know, he had his little little pack under there and sitting there going, "Wasn't my idea. That man, the man that healed me, he didn't know who he was." The text says. Man, it healed me. I go find him. I he just he healed me. Told me to pick it up. I picked it up. Was he serious? Was he unwilling? I don't know. You see the point. I hope you do. Is your life producing a question mark or an exclamation point? Is your life producing a witness like the nobleman? or a life like the lame man where we get to the end of the story and we could actually have more questions and answers because his his faith did not produce a declaring faith I hope it was I hope the testimony that he gave the Pharisees was one from a heart God knows but let us be clear today Luke chapter 12 and verse 8 could not be any clearer Luke 12, verse 8. Whoever confesses me before men, him, the Son of Man, will confess before the angels, but he who denies me before men will be denied before the angels of God. Authentic faith is not ashamed of the name. Authentic faith does not produce reluctant witnesses good story you've probably heard it but it fits so well here Alexander the Great was engrossed in a serious battle and one of his men fled he was caught so later on they bring this coward to the tent of Alexander the Great and Alexander the Great asked him why did you run the soldier said I was scared Oh, I see. Alexander the Great says, What's your name? The soldier mumbled where Alexander couldn't, the Great couldn't hear him. Alexander the Great said, Speak up! What is your name? He said, My name is Alexander. To which Alexander the Great says, Change your behavior or change your name. Romans 1.16 says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is a power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and to the Greek. You see, the question today is authentic faith is not ashamed of the name. It does not come later when you're 50. It comes the moment you believe. It came with the Samaritan salvation that she left the old and went and told about the new nobleman. Do you think there was a chance that that nobleman was going to tell his family about what just happened in his life and in the life of his son? Jesus, you see, walked his whole life in obedience to the Father. And whatever came, came and listen, And his life is about to come. We're going to see it. The story of the lame man starts a discourse, you see about the sovereign authority of the Son of Man and what we are going to see is how people respond to that authority. So what today? real simple couple of questions really just one am I taking Jesus at his word? Am I taking Jesus at his word today? In other words, here's what I'm asking, am I trusting Jesus to do what he said he was do? In my own life, I may have mentioned it. I have a few books that help me in times of darkness or depression for me or just discouragement. And One of them has Spurgeon. He wrote a little book. It's on the promises of God. And when I can't even concentrate, I'll pull down one of these little books that helps me focus on a promise. As I thought about today, Lord, what, what promise could I? Promise what practical? There's so many, Lord. I was reminded of a, a movie I seen called Luther. Turn with me to Psalms one nineteen ninety four. I want you to see this text and tell you why it jumped out jumped in, in me this morning or last night really as I was thinking and studying. This is the first part of Psalms one nineteen ninety-four. Simple little phrase. I am yours. Save me. You know, I'd write that down somewhere. I guarantee it. If you walk in faith, you're going to need that verse right there. I am yours. Save me. You see, the movie portrays Martin Luther at the very beginning of the Protestant Reformation. The scene that comes in to view on the movie is Luther sitting in a dark, cold cell at the monastery. He is a tormented man at this point in his life. He is doubtful that he could ever be loved or accepted by such a God that he understands exists. He had a minister and friend that I can't pronounce his name so I'm just going to call him Stu. Stu was his... A ministry, it was his mentor, brings this word to bear in his life. He says, Martin, what is it you seek? Luther said, A merciful God, a God whom I can love, and a God who loves me. Stu said to him, Then look to Christ. Bind yourself to Christ, and you will know God's love. Say to Him, I am yours. Save me. The scene fades with Luther saying, I am yours. Save me. I am yours. Save me. Brothers and sisters, the greatest news in all the world is that we are His, and He is Lord. That's good news today. I can take that news anywhere in the world, and it be true. I can take it to North Korea today. I can take it to China today. I can take it to King's Mountain today, in the midst of dead religiosity that is not producing the righteousness of God. We can take it and say He is Lord. And by the way, if we did not make Him Lord. He is Lord. He is Lord today when you're sitting in your house and your house shook. Did you feel it? I was studying his text when he shook this building today. He's Lord. The only question is if we had surrendered to his lordship or we are rebels against his lordship. I am yours. Save me. Hebrews 10. We'll close with this. Hebrews 10 verse 19 love Hebrews Hebrews chapter 10 look at verse 19 Hebrews 10 19 I love the therefores of the Bible therefore brothers since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus by the new and living way that He opened for us through the curtain, that is, through His flesh. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with true heart and full assurance of faith, and with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience, and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for He who is promised is faithful. In the best days of our life, and in the worst days of your life, we need only to cry out to Lord. He says, "I am yours. Save me." That right now, we're about to respond. God calls us to hear the gospel, and He calls us to respond, both personally and corporately. And here's what you're going to respond to. You're going to respond to the God of Calvary. We're going to respond to the one who made a way for us. Not only to be forgiven. But the one who made a way for us. For us to be called the children of God. And that we are. So brothers and sisters, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Listen to me. When we respond today. You are not responding to your pastor. You are responding to the Lord. When you respond, you're not waiting on me to do something. You're responding to the God of Calvary, who gave His life for you, who shed His blood for you, and told us to come to the tables and remember the body and blood of Jesus Christ. You remember Him. Remember your sin that separated you. Remember the God of Calvary who brought you to Him, who sets you at His table and promises you eternity, now and forever. Remember Him. Respond to Him. When you go to the tables and you see the basket, you're not giving money to a corporation. You are walking by faith and obedience. This is our worship. And so, brothers and sisters, let us worship the God in Calvary. Let us worship the Waymaker. Let's pray. Lord, now... We have heard your word rooted in your Son. A very practical word, but a very profound word. And so now, Lord, we stand to our feet, not out of arrogance or obstinance, but out of dependence to show our honor to you through your Son. We now want to worship you in spirit and in truth out of the longing that exists in us because of the Spirit you've given us. We long to come to the tables to remember that we could not have saved ourselves unless you gave your son to die for us. We come and bring our first and our best and lay it on the table out of our joy, out of gratefulness. Oh God, thank you that we can boldly come into your throne room now. of your Son. Lord, receive our worship in Jesus' name.